Hey, what's up, Laser fans? Welcome to We Have a Take the What podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, and I am joined, as always, by Rose Harding. Hello, Rose. Hi, Tara. How are you doing this morning? I am doing wonderfully. Just got back from my walk, and I bought my cat a sweater, which maybe I will tell you about later. But speaking of cats, <laughs> we have one of our friends joining us. I was not an intended segue, but it, it turns out to be a perfect segue. We are joined by Kat from uh, Twitter and from the Discord and from the group chat. It is so happy to have you here, Kat. Uh, welcome to we have welcome back to we have a take. Thank you. It's fun to be here. Good morning. I hope that wasn't like a terrible, like, oh my gosh, stop calling me cat compared to your cat. It just happened. It just came You, you should have also added the meow. <laughs> like, <laughs> Okay. I have to tell you about this. I was, I meant to tell you about it last night. Cat and I were at the game together last night. We attend a lot of games together because we're both part of the, the third bench and I completely forgot. But yesterday I got my cat groomed and I got her, uh, she has uh, a lion cut, which is basically they like shaved everything but her furry little face. <laughs> And she's so cute, but she's also very cold. So uh, this morning I went shopping for a sweater. Anyway, that got us completely derailed. I'm sorry. I have questions about cat sweaters because like dogs sometimes wear sweaters, but I got to be honest, I don't think I have ever seen a cat in clothes that didn't look like it wanted to murder somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, that's kind of her general disposition anyway. (laughs) Got it. But she uh, is pretty tiny and tends towards the underweight. So she's very cold and she does have like a little hot pad pad that she is sitting on right now. But the groomer actually gave us a uh, a sweater, like it's like a little sweatshirt that's like super cute. But I don't like it that much because I don't like the fabric and there's like the seams are like really big. And let me tell you, in my entire life, I have never worried about seams. But this cat has somehow become my fixation. I'm like, oh, I don't want her to have big, uncomfortable seams. I need to go to the store and get another one. My poor kids, they probably had terrible seams the whole time that they were growing up. But I'm sorry. So if you're listening, children, I'm very sorry. Uh, I think that's okay. I think that I'll say... All of my friends who have, like, their kids are grown at some point or another has, like, done some very parental-like stuff with their pets. Once they're, like, you know, once they're, like, past the age where you need to, like, you know, like, dress your kid, do this, do that, you know, like, where they become, like, more, like, self-sufficient. It's, like, I think it's very, like, I don't don't know if it's normal, but it's, like, it's pretty typical that people sometimes then just, like, inject that mom energy onto their pets. They're, like, oh. I have a friend who literally puts their dog in a stroller that's designed for dogs. Hey, we haven't gotten that far yet. Yeah. So, you know, so you, you have, you have um, areas to expand to, should you want to take it there with your cat, <laughs> with her, her, her lion cut and her sweater, her custom well, sweater. If only Nurkic was around, he and I could compare notes on spoiling our cats. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Yes, Nurk's cats. I know I miss Nurk too. We'll have to talk about that later. We'll have to talk about Nurk later. But let's start with our icebreaker. Yeah, let's start with our icebreaker. And because we were recording on February 11th, which is Super Bowl Sunday, we have an easy icebreaker today for us, which is, um, do you have any rooting interests in the Super Bowl today? Take that as you will. Rooting interests. Uh, Tara, why don't we start with you? No, I don't. 
<laughs> you have no rooting interests for the Super Bowl. No, I, I, I was just like, I, okay. The only rooting interest that I have is, uh, so one of my choir leaders is a huge San Francisco 49ers fan. And so for him, because I want him to be happy when we have practice later tonight, late tonight, I really hope that things go his way so that we don't have to sing all the really hard songs. That's a rooting interest. I mean, <laughs> so there we go. You have a rooting. You, so yes, you do have a rooting interest. Turns out I do. <laughs> How about you, Kat? Do you have a rooting interest today? Not really. Um, I come from a Packers family. We are Packers shareholders also, um, which is very funny because my dad actually was born outside of uh, Chicago um, moved to Portland when he was five and somehow became a Packers fan. And so that's kind of where I've grown up in the uh, Packers fan base. So uh, I'm just looking forward to a good game, good commercials. Usher, I think is going to be fantastic. So I'm excited to watch, but I don't really care who wins. Yeah, I mean, well, I will say that's pretty surprising for someone to, who grew up in Bears country to end up a Packers fan. Yes. Um, but the Packers feel like one of those teams where they have, where they like, like if they weren't loved outside of Wisconsin, like I don't know what kind of a franchise they would be because like Green Bay is actually tiny. Yeah. So like uh, good for them for um, expanding their fan base. I, I'll say for me, I don't have a rooting interest for a team exactly. The only thing I'm really rooting for is because it is February 11th. It is my dad's 78th birthday. And it's the, so he gets a Super Bowl birthday and my dad loves football. So I'm rooting for my dad to have a good time, Um, which I don't think he cares who wins the Super Bowl either, but that for him weirdly doesn't matter for the Super Bowl. He'll find a reason to root for one team or the other. And like, that'll be like an enjoyable thing for him, which is sort of like one of the nice things about watching sports with my dad, but it's also infuriating about watching sports with my dad, if that makes sense. Um, but anyway, I'm rooting for my dad to have a good time. And I also, I'll say this, I'm rooting. I have like a, I have like a, a rooting interest. That's like a hater rooting interest, which is like, I'm rooting for people who are butthurt about Taylor Swift to have a bad time. Because I think it's so weird how much football fans who decide that they don't like her, like go out of their way to hate on her. And I'm like, just ignore it. It's like, I mean, there's like, an, like, you know how many annoying fans there are all across every professional sports league ever? Just ignore it. It's fine. It, you're like you getting so hot and bothered about it is super weird. Adult men. Ang angry, upset uh, fans. They just get so much more airtime you know i don't i don't know why they just they just are it's so much easier to find people who are upset with how things are going than um than not and that actually kind of does take us to our topic for today the trade deadline has passed the blazers made a uh move to bring i'm re i'm reading his name because i can't for the life of me remember his name Delano Barton. No, no. Nope. Delano, Delano Banton. I even wrote it down and got it wrong. Good old DB from, for a highly protected second round pick has come to us from Boston. And we actually got to see him play last night. And then at the same time, they signed Ashton Haggins to a 
10 day contract and that's the blazers trade deadline there was a lot of speculation and talk about what they were going to do what they should do what they could do many of most most of the things they didn't so thought this would be a good time to just kind of catch up with folks on now that we know what the team is going to look like for the rest of the year how's it going how's the season look to you and and really uh, to piggyback on what we were talking about before spend some time talking about the things that we are enjoying about this or that we like about it and that we actually think are working so that's the premise for today would anybody like to actually let's start off about anything about the 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 trade deadline is anybody you know upset or surprised by the fact that the blazers didn't move on from their vets no i'll say no i like I think as soon as we heard that Shaden was having um, core surgery, I was like, oh, we're going to keep like we're going to keep Malcolm. Malcolm's going to be a blazer for the end of the year. And um, and I'm not sad about that at all. Like, I, I think that he's been really great for our our young guys. But no, I'm not really surprised that we didn't move on at all. I didn't ever really think we were going to move on from Jeremy at all. And I don't know why people got that idea that we would. I think that they thought because they signed him they they decided to sign him before dame decided to leave the people thought well, we would trade him but like i don't actually know where that like kind of feeling that we have to trade jeremy came from i'll just say that i i i think that there's a segment of blazer fans who really enjoy trades and um <laughs> jeremy was a desired player you know, we kept hearing his name because other teams were bringing it up. I think the media around the Blazers have been pretty clear all year that they were not likely going to trade him and sent in case anything really good that we couldn't turn down came up and that he didn't really want to uh, be moved midseason. So I wasn't surprised about that, but I think it just gets talked about because other teams are putting it out in the universe because he's a desired player. Yeah, I guess that makes, that makes sense. And it makes sense that like the Blazers might like field like offers for guys like that. If people want to like buy high on Jeremy and it's a real, you know, and it whatever they're offering really suits what we're trying to do here. But like, I just like didn't get this idea that we actually didn't want him and that like we only signed him like thinking that he was going to play alongside Dame. Like it's clear that like that none of that was finalized and uh, like, but like in, it wasn't finalized before we um started like really hunting for a Dame trade. And so like both either party could have like probably backed out of that if they, but I, you know, I just, it just didn't seem like we actually like wanted to do that, I guess I, and also, I so I remember I was saying this to you, I think I was saying this to you, Kat, like, I feel like he's the guy, that's the wing that we've been looking for for the past 10 years in the Dame era. He just came too late. We went and got him too late. And so, like, now that we have him, we're just going to be like, oh, well, Dame's not here, so I guess we'll move on. Yeah, Tara and I were talking last night about how fun it has been to watch him be sort of the it guy of the team. You know, I think uh, coming into the season, there was a lot of talk about who's going to be the number one. Is it going to be 
Amphony? Is it going to be Jeremy? Um, with Anthony having so many injuries this season, Jeremy has really risen to the occasion. And it's, I think it's been super fun just to watch what he has to offer kind of as the leader of the team. And totally, um, I'm a big Jeremy fan, so I have loved it. And it seems like everybody on the team absolutely loves him. And he is just good energy for the team. And I see no reason to move on from him unless he would like to go somewhere else. Yeah, we were also talking about how what an unusual path he's had, like all of the teams that he made stops at are are a very strange combination when you like try to figure out what the story is there. Was it um I can't was he drafted by Philadelphia? He played with the rebuilding yes. Philadelphia in like the really you know, poor eras. And then he also made a stop at OKC. He made that stop at uh, Denver. And then he chose to go to Detroit to take on a specific role. And I guess until I saw him sort of stepping into that here in Portland, absent anyone else <laughs> trying to, you know, lead, lead the team or having the ability and the experience to lead the team, I never kind of really got his potential in that arena. But I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing it more now and that has been uh that has been enjoyable and yeah I think it's been pretty clear from the messaging from the team is that like yeah if somebody made him an offer that they couldn't refuse or if Jeremy was ready to move on but like you know during that Detroit game who would have scored if it wasn't for Jeremy <laughs> like you can't yeah. just get rid of everybody <laughs> No, and I think it's really interesting that there's like this contingent of like, you know, there's like kind of these different schools of thought about how you develop young players. And like some definitely think like, oh, you develop them by playing them. You play them as much as possible. Like you play them 36 minutes a game and like, you know what I mean? And I have just like, the thing that I can't square though is like how those people also can be the people who hate our coach. Cause I think that in any scenario where you want to develop your rookies that way, which we've seen like teams do to different success at different times, you have to have a really good coach for it. And I'm like, how can you be unhappy with our coach, but also want to develop our team that way? That like, doesn't really make sense to me because I'm like, so they have to learn from somebody. It's not just going to be learning from mistakes. Like, have you seen like people out there try to learn how to do something on their own with nobody to look toward, for, like to see how you do it? You either need those to be like players or you need that to be your coaching staff. And if you don't like the coach, the only other option is to do it with vets. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't really know where this, like, uh, where these two like ideas kind of fit together. Like, well, the other thing is, is look at some of the other rebuilding teams and Detroit minus the last couple of games, just because you were getting a lot of playtime did not necessarily make you a better player. And so no. I totally understand the Blazers perspective of wanting to have some vets on the team to teach players how to play the right way. Chauncey seems very into players earning their minutes. I don't know if that's, you know, I'm not a coach. I don't know if that's the best way to go about it or not, but that is how he seems to be coaching his staff. It seems to have be working with Scoot, which he seems to be putting a lot of mentorship in around him. 
And it seems like Scoot has really benefited from that. So I'm happy to have vets to help our young guys learn how to play the right way because I don't think losing all the time with a lot of minutes necessarily makes you a better player. I agree with that. And one of the things that I hadn't struck me before this year is not necessarily I when whenever I heard about people playing alongside vets in my mind, I was thinking of it as a situation where like the vets are on the floor giving instructions and helping out. And I believe that to an extent that happens too. But the other nice thing about having an event, a vet is like that you can get somebody who can finish the play. You know, if all, if all, if Scoot spent the entire year playing 36 minutes to somebody who was also trying to learn how to receive a pass, I mean, that's, you know, at least he has players that, you know, that he knows that know how to receive the pass. So he can focus on getting the pass to them in the right way and learning how to adapt to what different players want. But if he was also playing exclusively alongside guys who have no idea how they want their passes or they're still learning how to get their passes, it just doesn't seem like it would um, be as fruitful. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially like, so some of these, like, so, so not only are a lot of these guys new to the NBA, but they're like, they're all new to each other. I know that like last night on the, on you guys are at the, at the game. So you weren't watching the broadcast, but on the broadcast, they kept on talking about how CJ is not playing against any of his former teammates. Like this is a brand new team. He's never, he doesn't even know it. He doesn't know any of these guys because Ant's not in the game and he's the only one on the roster that was there when CJ was here. But like, you know, even if you weren't a, even if you weren't a rookie or a second year player, you still have to figure out how to learn to play with these new guys. And it's not like most of them were here last year, so they have like a system that they like and a style of play that you can like fit to learn to fit yourself into. They're all learning to fit themselves together right now, and so is the coaching staff. So it's like, of course, there's a lot of stuff they have to figure out that takes more than probably a season to do because it's not like oh, well, we had like three starters that are probably back from last year and they're all going to play like the same style in the same minutes that they were before. So we're looking for to fit the other guys around those three guys or whatever. Like we don't have that. Ant's like kind of the only, Ant and Jeremy are like the only ones and they haven't even been on the floor very much together this year because Ant's been injured and it like, I don't know. I just, and like when you're, I'll say this, when your point guard changes, that changes so much more than like a lot of other positions because like the way that Dame used to run the floor is not necessarily going to be the way that anybody else does it. Um, you know, I know that he, he, they did a lot of reads under within the, when Dame was like running the team. And so he got to choose, like he made a lot of choices about what he wanted to do. Do you really think that, do we really think that our point guards this season are going to get that kind of like freedom to just like do whatever they want to do? Like, no. I, I made a comment to to Kat last night about how, you know, we were finally seeing Ant and Aiton and Scoot and Aiton figuring mm-hmm. each other out. And then those two are both gone. And then, you know, Aiton has to start all over again. And we can talk about Aiton separately, but <laughs> that is a, a jump that somebody has to make when you've just figured out how to do it with somebody else. And now here comes somebody. And he just seems like somebody who takes a while for that. But while the game was going on, it was really fun sitting next to Kat because Kat goes to a lot of remix games. Mm. And so Kat, she would point out, she'd be like, oh, you know, uh, Ashton and Ibu Baji play together. 
you know, so I, I don't know if you want to talk more about that, but it was, it was, uh, it was really interesting to, uh, think about it from that. Like, actually some of these guys do have chemistry. Yes. And Ashton and Chris Murray have played together quite a bit. And you could kind of see that on the court where, uh, Ashton had a little bit more knowledge around who he was going to and how to play to their strengths. I think Ashton was kind of thrown into a difficult situation. I think coming in, getting your 10 day, A is a super big deal to these players. And you're under the microscope because they want to get signed by a team, whether it's the trailblazers or they get the eye of another team. Their goal is really to get to the NBA. And so um, to be on that stage and to be thrown into the point guard role, I think is super difficult. And Ashton was working so hard Um but it was interesting to me because I think there are some differences between the NBA game and the G League games that uh, I was not aware of until I was going to remix games regularly. Um, the remix games are really played pretty fast. Uh, you know, they're usually done in about two hours. Um, the refs don't call as many fouls in the G League games. And so I kind of wondered yesterday when Ashton uh, was fouling so quickly, like, was he trying to adjust to, all right, what's going to be called in the NBA versus the G League? What can I get away with? We also see that with rookies that they they foul a lot. School, Scoots had the same issue. So I think some of that is just the dynamics of the pace of the game really needing to slow down a bit. Um, fouling is a little bit different. Um, and the G League rosters are really variable. People are coming and going all of the time because you have rookies that are sent down to play for a period of time. Then the remix go on the road and the rookies might not go with them or the two-way players might not go with them. So they kind of have their core group. And then when they're in town at the same time as the Blazers, then they've got Rupair, who's getting a lot of minutes with the remix. And you have uh, Chris Murray and Baji, uh, who've done significant minutes um, on the remix as well. And so yesterday I was getting a little bit frustrated with people on Twitter who were talking about needing to um, maximize minutes for the guys on our bench instead of calling up G League players. And I think repair is the one specifically people were pretty upset about. Um, but I think people are forgetting repairs getting a lot of run on the remix. He's getting a lot of development there. It's not like he's just kind of sitting at the end of the bench on the Blazers and then getting nothing in the off time. He's getting a lot of valuable time. He's a project. The Blazers have been pretty clear that he's a longer term project. He's a young guy. Uh, he's still been growing. And um, I think he's getting better when you watch him on the remix. You, you kind of get sparks of oh, that's what Mike Schmitz was really interested uh, in him as a player. But um, yesterday when we needed a point guard, it was great to have the remix to be able to pull from because Ashton has that experience. Um, Ashton is also the only remix player who's going to the G League All-Star game. 
Um, he's been a consistent player. He knows that point guard role. Not that you can come into it seamlessly, but um, I think it was the right way to do it. I think if you took repair and put him in a position that isn't his normal position and he's still really developing, I think it probably would have been a nightmare. So I totally understand how people get frustrated, but we have to remember that we've got the remix now. We're developing guys. That's where we saw Chris Murray make the leap. Um, you know, early on in the remix, probably the first couple of months, I was a little worried with Chris Murray. I kind of thought maybe that was the the draft pick that we bombed. And I was really bummed about it because his brother Keegan is great. Um, but he just got reps, he got confidence, and it clicked. And once it clicked, he's been doing much better out on the floor. And so I think those reps are really important. And I'm excited that we have the remix to draw from. And uh, I have a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot more 10-day call-ups over the next couple of years. So if you're mad about that, it might be time to uh, find another hobby for a little while. <laughs> also, like, to your point about, like, so this is our first year with a G League team here. If not for a developing team like ours, like, where are player, where where can players really expect to get those, like, nice little call-ups? Like, I feel like we're like a really good team to experiment with that because you never know. Like your like your G League team is about development developing players that you know like that are like two way guys or like your younger guys, but it's also about like kind of mining for hidden treasure, right? Yeah, finding guys who are just going to fit with the style of play that you want, and like and bringing them up and finding finding good role players that are in the G League system and bringing them to the NBA. Like so, like if not our team. Which, you know, I yeah, that's another I, good point. And um, I don't know if people realize I was kind of shocked going to remix games. Joe Cronin goes to a lot of games. Uh Mike Schmitz goes to a lot of games. Uh the whole um scouting staff of the Trailblazers are at those G League games, and they're not just watching our guys, they are watching the other teams and um, they are scouting a lot. It has been very surprising to me how much of their time they are out there scouting and really looking for the diamond in the rough um, or somebody who might fit our system and our timeline that just needs a little bit of extra development. They're out there watching those guys. So um, I think it's pretty fun and exciting to be able to see an array of players. And it's also just kind of really wild group of people that are out there. And by that, I mean, it's a lot of really good college players who did not get drafted. You know, some of them, I think, just didn't have the size to make it in the NBA. Then you've got um, sort of a, a roving cast of guys who have done various 10 way 10 day contracts and two ways and you see uh players that have been on the blazers and then you've you've got like your mo harkless who is trying to rehab and get back into uh fitness so that he can maybe get called up by an nba team 
um, you know, your Greg Brown, the thirds, it's, um, it's, it's kind of an interesting group of guys, you know, some of these guys have a lot of sort of um, tangential NBA experience and are older. And then you've got guys that are super young on the Ignite who are going to be drafted as rookies. And then you've got these development guys, some of whom left basketball for a little while and are coming back to it. It's just, it's very, very fascinating. I love that perspective uh, that you bring. And I'm wondering if I don't, I think it's much too soon to know right now. So I'm looking forward to a future time because I've also heard that the G League is where teams will try out stuff and, you know, to bring it up to their NBA team, whether it's plays or style of play or just philosophy. And I don't think maybe, maybe if you ask the coaches, they would say, of course we have a philosophy, but I just don't know what it is yet. So I'm interested in the future to see if the Blazers, once they have these guys developed and ready to play, if they start implementing that type of thing too, like, okay, let's, let's do this thing where all we do is take threes or let's dunk more. Never mind. I'm going (laughs) to take off that. You would love to know they dunk a lot in the G league. There's a Why lot don't of they dunk in Portland? Oh my God, it's killing me. Okay. <laughs> I can't talk about dunks. It upsets me too much. I, I wanted to like, so one of the things I was thinking about, Kat, when you were talking about like, um, you know, how Joe Cronin and Mike Schmitz go to a lot of G, G League games and they also like go and watch not just our players, but the other players. I was thinking like, that's probably how we got Delano Banton. Like, you know, because he was like, I think, I think, wasn't he a two-way guy for um boston boston yeah like a two-way guy and like there's lots of guys that have come now from the g league to make to make meaningful contributions to team i was just thinking about how like that's how jose alvarado got to the pelicans and now he plays like a meaningful important role for that team he's like you know he's he's like made a name for himself but like to your point he's like Physically, he's not the kinds of guys that typically get drafted in the NBA because he's like six feet with shoes on, you know, and like those guys have to just work that much harder. But like now you see him on on the Pelicans and he plays really meaningful minutes and he's an important he's an important person to have to bring off their bench for certain types of situations. Like he's like quite good, but he had to make his way through their G League team from from a two way contract after being undrafted to like get that like full NBA contract. But like, there's no reason to think that like, we can't do the same thing. And quite frankly, the Pelicans are like further ahead in their rebuild than, you know, than we are. Yeah. And I think the NBA, just the fact that they're all-star weekend, they're incorporating the G league into that more. I mean, it's, they're really making it an extension of the NBA. And so I think it's just something I have really come to understand the importance of having a team and how it has helped our guys, especially uh, Chris Murray. Um, And I I don't know why we didn't have one earlier. It just seems incredible to me that we didn't, but it's been very fun. And um, the other thing I was just going to note that there is the documentary um destination nba about the g league Mm -hmm. and it's it's got scoot as one of the prime people that they 
followed around, but it's a really good insight into how the G League operates. And um, I would really recommend it. I think it's on Prime is where um, you can find it, but it's a little bit long. I think it could have been a little bit shorter, but it's a good documentary and really gives insight around um, how difficult it really is to make it into the NBA and these guys that are really scrapping and working hard to try and achieve their dreams. Yeah, that's a really good uh, that's a really good recommendation. I've watched that watched that too. And the scoot part is fun, but also just like the behind the scenes of like how that the G League works and how it's where it's connected and where it's not connected in with the NBA is really fascinating. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard the latest uh, briefcase with Casey Holdall, but Chris Murray was on it. And one of the things that really stood out from their conversation and kind of has to do with what we've been talking about is that um, I think Casey was talking about it, how he has has observed the the coacher the coaches really wanting to set their younger players up for success when they go in like they don't want to put them into fail like so they that could be also some of the reason that we're not seeing the guys right now that we want to see is that they've decided they've made like it, it appears that they've made like a conscious choice to like we're not going to just throw somebody in there when they're not ready or we're going to get them out real, real quick so that they can be prepared. And we're not just going to throw anybody out, out there to fail, which I, I just thought was a, an interesting observation. Which is also like, I'll say like one of the things that I think is very different about the way that we've been rebuilding and say a team like Detroit, because, you know, like that team has been put out like for a long time until very recently, I think until they started switching up some of their like lineups I felt like some of those lineups were put out there to fail. <laughs> I like, there's no way there's no, like I watched quite a bit of Pistons now that I have league pass. Cause I'm like, why is this team so bad? And like that team is they, they put out like full bench lineups, like full bench lineups of like guys that don't really play like the same style. It seems. And like, you know, they'll have like guys who are like DNPs for three games and then they'll come out in an all bench lineup with a bunch of guys who are, you know, other guys who had DNPs. And I'm like, this is wild. Like they they don't have consistent like lineups. They don't have like consistent rotations. They have guys that are in and like that didn't have playing time in the last five games. And then suddenly they have a bunch of playing time like James Wiseman. Remember how James Wiseman got traded there? Every now and then he'll come out and be like, they're in crunch time. And I'm like, what are you doing in crunch time? You haven't been playing for three weeks but like when i see like that style like i'm very grateful actually the way that our our team has been bringing out like um i think like lineups that are at least testing something or giving giving players the opportunity to do something interesting and they're never like i i feel like they're rarely out there with guys who do not have consistent playing time like there are guys who sometimes get put like inserted into into different lineups that like maybe haven't been playing every game or something but they're usually playing with guys who have been playing consistent minutes and i and i like that because it gives them something to to like play play into guys who like know how to play together guys who like have been building some amount of chemistry together and i don't know it's just something that i've been thinking about because i like I, I look at other rebuilding teams to see what they're doing and i'm just saying i'm like i'm very grateful at 
lots of times when I look at what's happening in a with a team like Detroit versus a team like ours. And I want to point out one other thing about Detroit that I was thinking about too. So there's been a lot of criticism about Detroit's coach and like what he has and hasn't been doing to help his developing team. I would like to remind people that that was DeAndre Ayton's coach in Phoenix. Mm. That's Monty Williams who kind of helped like I think set the reputation that he has around the NBA. And I'm like looking at him and I'm like, is it him or is it a little bit you? Because mm. I've watched you like bet he like the beginning of the season, he was benching their like not their their like second year like top like like lottery pick for like two dozen games. He was like a healthy DNP. And like, you know, the the night before that he, the Pistons played Portland this week he went off for a career high against Sacramento. Like he had like 38 points or something against Sacramento the night before and they won. Like it's wild to me that that guy wasn't playing at the beginning of the season. And he was also like, I felt like sort of making an example of him as somebody who had to earn his minutes in a way that he kind of poked at DeAndre Ayton for when he was in Phoenix. Anyway, I just want to mention that because I've been thinking about the criticism that that coach has been taking this year. And I think a lot of it feels very earned to me because his team is not good, but it might be better than it actually looks. And that's also the coach that helped kind of like dog DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, that's really interesting. Really interesting to think about it. And, you know, just in terms of like, you know, uh, setting guys up for success you can set them up for success they can go in and not be ready and then you like go whoop okay never mind <laughs> we'll try that again in a couple of weeks after we've uh run some other stuff at practice or had a chance to practice or you've had a, a chance to see more and and we've seen that with scoot this year and i appreciate the slow roll of scoot so like i'll i'll fully admit that when we drafted scoot there was my hope and then there was my expectation <laughs> and my hope. It's totally okay to hope that you're going to hand him the ball. And then from the moment he steps on the court, he's Damian Lillard 2.0. Okay. That's a hope. And it's okay for hopes to be dashed because <laughs> then you go back to, well, what were my really expectations? 19 year old rookie, but I've appreciated the fact that they haven't tried to force him into anything. And I, I just remember back to actually Phoenix again, I felt like, they did a pretty good job of just letting uh, Devin Booker cook for a while. Like, I feel like they, I mean, you know, there were definitely people who had like, you know, crazy outsized expectations for him. But from my vantage point, I felt like they just let him keep playing and didn't put like the whole onus of the team on him. And I feel like the Blazers are doing a little bit that of that with Scoot too. It's like, Okay, Scoot's our point guard of the future for now, but we have to see what else we're going to come. We, we have to see what else is is going to develop. And they, they're they not acting like, at least as far as I can see, that like he's going to be the savior and everything is going to be based on his immediate success. They're saying, this is an extremely talented player who has a very high ceiling and we're going to we're going to take it carefully and we're going to develop him at a speed that makes sense rather than like trying to like rush it. Um, so I'm kind of wondering where you guys think we are in terms of like, just where are we in this rebuild? 
Yeah. Can I, can I make a comment about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Go to the next question. That's the other thing that's been fascinating to me about the G League and the Ignite is the Ignite is full of these young rookies who are hopefully going to be drafted. Um, their team's records are losing records. They're not very good. Um, I, a lot of these guys haven't played college ball. Um, I'm going to be fascinating to see if that pathway is going to work because I think that you miss out on some skills from that pathway. And I, I'm only saying that based on what I've been watching in the G League, and I can see how Scoot came in with some deficits just based on how the G League play goes. And I'm kind of thinking, yeah, maybe a year or two of college might be a little bit more helpful because if you're constantly on a losing team, I think you're just not necessarily building um, – those strengths that you need. So time will tell on that, but um, I have to give Scoot a lot of credit. Um, his mentality through all of these hardships, even starting to come here with all of the Dame chaos going on, he's held his head up high. He's believed in himself. Um, I can't believe he's that mentally tough as a 19 year old. I certainly would not be. And I am just constantly amazed at uh, even last night when he's not playing, he's on the bench, he's cheering guys on. He looked very happy. And um, to me, I think that is a very strong indication of somebody who's going to be successful. Yeah, that's a good point because I kind you kind of forget how much G League teams lose, and you know Tara and I on this podcast have talked before about how we get concerned for those players that like come onto NBA teams and just lose for se like season after season after season, and what that does to like your habits and your mentality of, of like playing NBA ball because a lot of the times when you're playing losing basketball, you're learning also some bad habits. Um, but I I feel like. I mean, I don't know because I'm obviously I don't sit around in blazer huddles or anything, but like I feel like he's he's his behavior looks as somebody who is very coachable and someone who is looking to learn. And I think that that's like the kind of attitude that you have to have when you're kind of make that jump, because I'll say I, I agree with you. I think there's there's something about college that helps those players make the leap. But I don't necessarily think that the G League can't also offer that. Um because it's not like the college game is perfectly suited for the NBA game either. Like, like those are very different styles of basketball that you see in college versus G League versus like the NBA. And I think that if whichever one of those, like of, of the two, like the G League or the NBA figures out how to like make their game more compatible with the NBA game, that's the, that is, that to me is like solidifying the pipeline of players. Because I think one of the hardest things for some, for some scouts is to like, look at the way guys play in college and see if it translates to an NBA style game. Cause some people are very good in college that just never, they just never quite figure it out. And I, I don't know why. Yeah. And it may just be not the G league's fault necessarily, but maybe that the ignite has a whole team of these really young guys who are projected draft picks and 
you know, they just lack experience, whereas some of the other G League teams have more of an array of experience on their team. Maybe Mm. they need more vets on the Ignite. I don't know. It's just kind of been interesting to watch because Scoot's team lost a lot last year. The Ignite this year has been losing a lot. And um, it it just, it's interesting because if you have watched any of Kamara's interviews, he really has been promoting his college experience as a good development for him. And Hey, I did four years of college and I've got this experience and maturity that comes with that. And he really talks about it as an asset, which I think is interesting. And Chris Murray, similar. Mm -hmm. So I don't know which way is going to end up being the the better way to go, but I I think they're different and you're getting different skill sets out of it. It's interesting to think about. So like, you know, you were saying that like the, the Ignite lose a lot. Like if you're not, if winning is not necessarily like an expectation in the G League, it like the mission is different for each of those players out there than the, than like the mission for them to play on an NBA team, which is like make your individual way to the NBA. That's the mission here in the G League. And it doesn't necessarily encourage you to play winning style basketball. Like, that's one of the things that I, I find very, like, strange is that, like, you know, like, I've heard Scoot talk about that experience where he's talking about, oh, stay mentally tough, you lose a lot, like, you know, like, grow and play better. But I'm like, but what is better if the goal is not to win? Because in the NBA, like, everybody gets to where the, like, to the level of play that they want to be at, and then the goal is to win. And can you translate that individual success to winning on a team? I don't know. And maybe it's that's a little bit up to like the like front offices to figure out who can do that or who can't. But I like I do think that there's something very interesting about like guys trying to make their way to the NBA from the G League where the expectation is that winning doesn't help you do that. Or I mean, it might, but like it doesn't help you as much as like playing really good individual basketball. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. I mean, they definitely are trying to play as a team, but you see a lot more individualism. And I think when you're playing college ball, it's a lot more about the team ball. So that might be one of the separators of the two. And it's an interesting path. I'll be curious to see how it works out in the long run. But the more I've watched G League games, I'm kind of understanding how Scoot came to us with a few deficits that maybe we didn't really expect. And I think we also have to rewire our brains around 19-year-olds. Wemby is just an anomaly across the board most 19-year-olds, even 19-year-olds that came into the NBA who've gone on to be really successful, were not necessarily super successful their rookie year. And I think, I don't know if it's just that Wemby has kind of shifted what we are expecting out of young men, but, um, you know, he's, he's not the norm. And I think, you know, whether it's maturity wise, guys need a little bit of time to develop that part of their personality. Um, But I think we need to give a little bit more grace to these young men who are coming in and having high expectations because they've got really good skills. Yeah, that's a great reminder. I think a lot of times people forget like, oh, this is a kid. 
<laughs> like most most rookies are like are their kids. Like what did Scoot just turn twenty? Yeah, he just turned twenty. Like he's still he that he can't even walk into a restaurant and order a beer. In. This is one of my favorite topics because I am really curious of whether or not the G League Ignite experiment is gonna gonna be considered successful. And I think one of the things about not playing college is like when you play for college, you're playing for something bigger. You're playing for the identity of the college and you go to an NBA team and you're playing for the identity of that NBA team. And when you go to the G League, you're going there to get to the NBA. And I'm wondering, and like, if you're going to the G League Ignite specifically, you're like even farther removed from the rest of them because you're making a lot more money you're a lot younger and it's really not focused on winning because you aren't even like you know the las vegas ignite you're like the g league ignite you don't have anything that you are associated with and i was just thinking that i wonder if one thing that they could maybe do is just to make those g league mean something mean more like play for more and maybe us and maybe like the second half, because I think we remember, I remember when we met with, when we talked to Kelsey and Eric, Kelsey talked about how the first section of the G League goes to the cup and then they reset all of the, everybody's records and then they play for the championship or whatever. Do, do they get bonuses? Do they win things? Do they get relegated up? <laughs> you know, it's just like, I, I you know, yeah. give, give them something to play for besides just the next thing i don't know and i i've talked about this before cat because we have three guys who didn't play play college you know we had shaden who practiced with the college team but he wasn't on the court where everybody was cheering for the team you know and then of course anthony didn't play and i just think that's one thing that uh, you don't get necessarily from the G League, but you do get that, I think, when you go overseas. Because I think um, my idea, or at least what it appears to me, is that, like, you know, you're playing for a town, and that town is behind you, and that town wants your your thing to win. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. And if anybody ever either cares. Maybe nobody cares. <laughs> Maybe we're the only ones who are like... <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Also, like, so, like, a lot of these other teams, like, these, like, G League teams are associated with an NBA team, and they might play in different towns, but they're going to be very close to the NBA team, where, like, they don't really get to take on, like, necessarily their full-on own identity, where, like, the city gets behind them, like, you know, like, I don't know, some of those, like, European teams, like, that's the team, that's the city's team, and, like, we're, like, we're the Portland Trailblazers, and we have a G League team. Like we're in the same city, like, you know, it it doesn't it doesn't quite have the same thing going for it because really people that are interested in the remix are interested in the remix usually because they're interested in the Blazers, not just because they're interested in the remix. And I mean, obviously there will be some people that are just interested in the remix, but like in general, I think most of the people there are there because they're Blazer fans. Yeah, I also think it's going to be interesting too how the trailblazers adapt to having a remix team so they've talked about having the team in portland at you know sharing a practice facility running the same plays so that you know um the guys who are playing on the remix you know your chris murray's your rupert baji um that 
it's not an entirely different system when they're in the trailblazers. And I also kind of think like when you're calling up guys on a 10 day and you're seeing how they're working within the system, it's probably going to help the blazers adjust how they're running the remix too. I think it's going to be a lot of experimentation to uh, get those adjustments to be quite right. And I think we're going to have to just have some of these experiences where we are experimenting and now is the time to do that because we're rebuilding and our record doesn't really matter that much. So, you know, I think, I think we're going to see a lot of adjustments along the way. So it's kind of exciting. I forgot. I wanted to bring us back to this. We started talking about the this and now we're talking mostly about the G League, but we started talking about this because we were talking about the trade deadline. I want to bring this back. I am disappointed about one thing about the trade deadline, and that is that we have not had Reef promoted yet to a full NBA contract. And I really, really want that to happen because he has earned it. Like, and that to me is also another success of like the two-way system. Like, look at the minutes we get out of Reef. Look at how good he looks in like the NBA system. Like, he's earned that contract. Like, let's just give it to him. Yes, I'm on board. I am 100% agree with you, but I'm starting to get worried. Like, I don't, I mean, I know that you, they have to have enough, they had to have enough room. So if they were going to do make, if they were going to make any trades, like, you know, all, all these excuses, like why we haven't done it yet. Oh, and he still has more time. You know, it's, and it's very confusing to figure out like what it all is let's 50 games, hundred days, depends on if you're called up or if what the roster situation is, there's a ton of variables are all involved. I'm just getting this like icky feeling that if they were going to do it, they would have just done it. And like, as soon as we have to start doing math to figure something out, it's not going to happen. Like, it's just like, why hasn't this happened yet? And I don't know. I'm just starting to, I I'm hoping I'm wrong. But like, why not just do it? Why haven't they just done it? I mean, they didn't they didn't need to preserve that spot for or that opening open spot. I mean, they knew what they were going to do. They knew also, what deals weren't out there. So I understand this from like a very like strategic standpoint of like not doing it until you have to do it because it gives you means you're open for more options. Now with the trade deadline closed, I don't really know how much that matters anymore. But like I understand like why when like when the trades were happening, they were like, well, we want to be able to take on people and release them if we need to or whatever, like and move guys around in that way without having like that spot occupied by somebody that we don't have to put there until like March. Um, and I'll say like so in Sacramento, Keon Ellis just got his two way contract converted to a full NBA contract. And I kind of wondered if they were going to do that with him too, because he played some really great, meaningful minutes earlier in the season. And then they kind of like fell out of the rotation. And I was like, what's going on here. And I kind of wondered now if it was about them managing, I don't know anything about his, like how many games he appeared in or was, uh, I guess it's not about appearances. This is whether he was active for them. I don't know how many games he was active for this season, but I was like wondering if like, Oh, were they slow rolling his, um, NBA games because they wanted to make sure that they could convert him after the deadline because he got his after the deadline as well I believe I don't know if that if like 
if these guys that are on two-way contracts are going to be more likely to kind of be pushed to like the brink of their two-way contract in order to maximize flexibility. And that's going to be like the trend going forward. But like, to me, I, I can see why teams might do that and not convert guys until they absolutely have to. Um, because that's like one of the few like elements that you have like complete control over. You know, nobody's gonna nobody can go and sign him out from under you or anything like that. And so when you choose to convert him, just takes away some flexibility that you may or may not want for X, Y, or Z reason. I get that, but it's been three days. And also, and, and this is only a recent thing that I started to go, oh no. Um, it's been three days since the deadline, and the Blazers aren't contending for anything. Like they're not like, we gotta keep all our options. I just I just think it's weird. And I hope I'm wrong because I don't know who else is going to play backup center for them. And if they aren't going to, it's just like, if they're going to do it, just do it. And like, if, if, if they're going to, you know, if, if it came to it, there's, I'm sure there's other guys that they could have decided to part with. When you look at like how valuable WAP has appeared to be as that backup center, it just baffling to me. And that just, it's just throwing up red flags for me and I don't want it to be right and I had this I came up with this because they were talking about Shaden coming back Shaden just had core surgery and they were like oh he'll be reevaluated in six weeks and so we're all going okay six weeks will be March 22nd which will be so you know three weeks from the end of the thing and if he does light ramp up for this then he can be back okay he can play the last seven games and that was like okay we're doing math again as soon as we have to do math it's not going to happen. <laughs> and then I was like, oh my gosh, we've been doing math on WAP Reap this whole time. Is there something going on there? Do we, I can't remember because I didn't pay close attention. What is his injury he's out for? Who? WAP? I think it's some, like, it's something like minor. It's something like soreness or something. Okay. So, um, so it's, it's not something that we would be kind of holding off on to make sure it's it's not a bad injury before signing with him. I, I have to say this, um, part of me is just lazy and I don't go in and out of my front door. And that is just to say my duop wreath is still hanging on my front door and um, it is needing to be taken down, but I never remember it because I go in and out the back door. And then I drive by my house. And I'm like, oh, I still have that holiday duop wreath, but I love it so much and it's held up so well. So maybe I need to keep it up until he gets his contract signed. That is 100% what I'm doing because my wreath is also still on my door. Um, okay, good. And I was like, you know, it's funny. I I we took we take down our tree like you know like like right before New Year's or something and I forgot about the wreath for a while because I also like I don't go because I I you know I go in and out of my garage um usually I don't go in and out of my front door and then I saw it once when I was like going to like look around for where a package was left and I was like oh my wreath is on the door and I'm like I'm gonna take it down when he gets that contract that's what I'm gonna do I'll take it down when he gets right. that contract and then I'll feel really good about it. And I'll feel like it was a reason why I left it up and not just that I forgot it was on my door. <laughs> well, I so hope that I'm wrong. I'm just starting to get suspicious. And FYI, he has been out with right knee tendonitis. Okay. I was, so. so I I'll say that Tara, 
your point about math is well taken, but I will say this, that there are lots of things we could have been doing math on this whole time. We only did math about wreath because we wanted it to happen. There are plenty of other things that we have not been capturing by like doing math on whether they're do like they're going to do X, Y, or Z because those are not the things we care about. Those are not the things that we are looking forward to and think should happen. But like plenty of other random stuff may happen that we could have been counting down towards. We just didn't know to do it. So there is like this element of like what like where are our priorities as fans and where like where. What what moves are we looking forward to and what ones just happen? And it, there is a world out there where I can imagine nobody's counting down how many how many um, appearances Reith has left on his two way contract in the way that we aren't counting down how many Justin Minaya has like, you know, just cause that we like, up, just cause we like them. That brings up a good question. So Delano was a two way. So does he get traded to us as a two way or does he have a contract? And is that impacting WAP's potential contract? I don't understand how that works. We would have I, to phone a friend. To I assume answer. he comes over on the contract that he's on. Um, I that's what I my assumption is that he comes over on the contract that he was on. If we're, if he's being traded, he gets to keep whatever contract he's on. Um, but I know that you're only allowed to have three two way three two way players on your roster at any time. It used to only be two, and now this year it's three. Um, and so that would mean it's wreath, Manaya. And now is Baji now, to play Banton? I thought that Baji was released and then he came back as just a just a G League contract. So on basketball reference, it lists the two way players as Wap Reith, Justin Manaya, and Ibu Baji. And then it just has Delano Banton on. Now that is as of February eleventh on basketball reference. So take that for what it is anyway i hope that i'm wrong and um i want to be wrong i just i'm also starting to balance not getting too attached because that's one thing that we have to take into this rebuild is that not all these guys are going to be here you know what i mean they're going to have to try out a lot of different players and a lot of players who we come to love are going to move on so this is maybe part of me just trying to like okay don't get too attached because maybe somebody else would be interested in adding him to their roster and i would be very happy for them and very sad for us who would be our others who would be our backup center because i mean so moses brown is like a broken hand or something and yeah jabari's um, been playing it jabari oh, has been Ibu playing Baji. yeah ibu has been playing it and jabari has been playing like small ball center um, but like, I mean, I, yeah, I, that doesn't seem like a sustainable practice, I guess is what I'll say. <laughs> no. So I hope whatever happens, it happens in the next few days so I can stop worrying about it. Um, let's have, let's touch briefly. Uh, I'm 
glad that you stopped me before we moved on because uh, that was a really good discussion. But I want to just kind of go back briefly because we're getting up at, at time uh, to kind of like wh what are your thoughts and where we actually think we are in this rebuild? Because I can't decide. I can't decide if we're like right at the beginning, if we're actually two years in, if we're actually three years in. Where do you guys think we are? I have feelings about this. Um, uh, we were talking about on the Discord. I think we are in year one of the rebuild, but we have a bit of a head start because we got draft picks in the last couple of years. So um, to me, the rebuild starts when your star leaves and you're really working with a young roster of guys where there's not a lot of expectation around winning. You're trying a lot of different things. I don't know, you know, I think if you look at other examples of teams that have done good rebuilds like OKC, this is their fifth year and they're looking very good and they were fun last year. So, you know, I think if that is something to look forward to, hopefully we're in a similar time range, but I don't think um, in the next year we're going to be a play-in team. I think it's probably going to take a couple of more years if we're being realistic. And I think there's going to be a lot of trying different things and players coming and going. And, you know, we don't know how long. I, I can't imagine Brogdon stays forever. Um, Jeremy might not stay forever. Aiton may not stay forever. We have a lot of experience experiments. And I think some of it ends up who's going to pop on this roster. Is it going to be Shaden? Is it going to be Scoot? Is it going to be both of them? Um, and then building around what is working. And I just don't think we know quite yet, but I am very adamant that this is year one of the rebuild. We got a little bit of head start from um, our draft picks in the last couple of years. And hopefully that sets us up for being in a shorter rebuild versus a very long rebuild. That's an interesting point. I didn't really think about what year of the rebuild we're in because we have been losing, but and people, I think, considered us in rebuild, you know, the last couple of seasons because we've tried to win and haven't been very good. Um, I tend to agree with you that I think this is what we are one of the rebuild. And even if we were in the years where we were rebuilding in those prior years, I think it's enough to say that, like, the brief changed this summer. And so the rebuilding efforts also change. Right. Like your priorities change suddenly when your star leaves and no, you weren't very good in the in the like the last couple of years when he was on your team. But like the way you rebuild then is different and the priorities are different than the way you rebuild now where everyone is young and you don't have a star to build around. So like this might be rebuild 2.0. We're, you know, this is year one of rebuild 2.0 because the brief is completely different. You're not trying to rebuild a contender very quickly to maximize your stars like uh, like the peak of his career. Like now it's different because now like there's nobody to build around in that way. I assume they're not going to build around Ant or Jeremy in that way. And so it's a it's a whole cloth rebuild now. So, yeah, I think I tend to agree with you that this is year one of the rebuild. Even if we were in, in some form of a rebuild in those prior years, 
completely different priorities. You have to start from scratch, even though you're right, we do have a little bit of a uh, a head start because we were bad for several years. But just because you were yeah. bad doesn't mean you're rebuilding. Yeah, and I that's been kind of my thing that I will, the hill I will die on is we've not been tanking for two years. In my personal opinion, we tanked last year for the last 10 games when Dame sat out. But people kind of look at it as a tanking year because we were bad. But if you go back, and I have gone back and looked at the games, and I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but, um, you know, in the two months leading up to the end of the season, with Dame playing his heart out, we were losing games. We were just very bad. We had a bunch of injuries. It wasn't just... um, you know, Winslow was out. We had a bunch of different guys out and we were trying to win games and we were bad. We were not tanking. Once Dame sat, to me, that's the tanking. The year before, not tanking. Our star had surgery. He was out. We didn't have the pieces around it to be able to make it work. And so that's kind of where I'm at. But I think we were really trying. We were working a hybrid, right? the last two years we were trying to make a hybrid work. It didn't really work just like it didn't work for golden state. And now we are fully rebuilding. It begs uh, the question, the year that Dame had that surgery, whether he has that surgery, if we were winning, because I think that part of the reason why he had that surgery is because the front office convinced him, we're not going to win this year. You get healthy and we'll try and win next year. And so that's why he took the end of the season off. Like, but if they had been in like the playoff hunt and like, you know, like felt confident that they would, that they could make a run. I don't think he has that surgery. Probably not. But I, but I also see that is different than sitting a player in order to get good draft picks. You know, he needed that surgery. It was obvious that he needed that surgery for quite a long time and he was putting it off. And now that we've had four players have that surgery, I think they are in the mindset of we're going to nip this in the bud and get it taken care of sooner rather than later. And so I think that is definitely a good way of thinking about it. I appreciate this discussion so much. I Kat, I disagree with you with the year that they ended up getting Shaden from the draft. I do think that once Dame sat, just like the com- constant rotation of like people grabbing people for here, grabbing people for there, and just clearly not trying to like make the team better. I think that was a tank. They were like, okay. And they had to tank hard because they were doing okay and then they had to just absolutely fall off the cliff so I think in my opinion that was a tank and then I think last season was I think you're right that like they were trying and it was just not working and then at the end they were like no we are shutting this down I think the team I think at the ted I think at the deadline the team started tanking but Damian Lillard didn't buy into it until he actually finally sat down (laughs) But I am a thousand percent in agreement with you that they right now are rebuilding. They are not tanking. And like when people are like, oh, we got to we got to lose games now. Like you don't need to worry about that anymore. The games will lose themselves. Stop calling it tanking. This is the rebuilding. 
But what I also appreciate is, you know, uh, thinking about, because I, like I said, I'm trying to figure out like, where are we in this? And now I, I do see that, yes, we are, we are at the beginning. It's going to be, you know, many more years of this. I just, I, I thought that those last two like quasi tanking years were, were going to put us farther ahead than they did. And I was like, okay, we're going to tank one year and the Damon's going to be back and everything's going to be great. They better have it figured out by then. Did not. Second time. Okay. One more time. They better get this figured out. They did not. And now it's like, okay, yeah, this is like the reset to the reset. <laughs> like first it was a, a retooling, I think, isn't that what Olshay called yeah. it? But I, I can see what he means by retooling. They were just going to take what they had and like polish it up and make it better and send it out there. It's As, a hybrid plan. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's like, no, this is, this is, this is the beginning. And I think, you know, one of the things that made OKC's journey fun and successful eventually is that, you know, they had Shay to start with. And, you know, if we have a couple, if we've already, like you said, are a step ahead having gotten one or two of the building blocks then um then it will be great but yeah every time we lose a game like i just i i was so happy to have the discourse done about feeling bad about winning games <laughs> and people are trying to creep that back in there and it's like no it's going to be what it is going to be yeah and we have our own shay and i'm hoping that once he gets that core surgery we are going to have our own exciting Shay that is uh, going to lead this team. I'm pretty excited about him, but it's easy to forget when he hasn't been playing for so long. So I'm glad that they're getting it taken care of instead of having, you know, what we learned with Dame letting it linger for years is not really a good option. Yeah. And I wonder if like, that's like sort of an attitude that changed with the, when the front office changed over to where it's like, you know, that they're, I feel like Neil Olshay was always trying to do something like a hybrid, everything. He was always trying to execute multiple plans at the same time. And like, sometimes that leads you to make some bad decisions because you're trying to keep both lanes open. And that you sometimes there's a lot of loss, like, like there's a lot of sunk, like, loss in keeping two lanes open because you end up putting efforts toward one lane that doesn't end up panning out and that feels like all of that effort and all of the moves that you made in that lane were a waste and one of those things was putting off probably putting off dame's surgery because like when dame talked about it when he finally got it he's like oh i've needed this for years yeah i've needed this for years and i'm like well why the f didn't you have it for years like you know you're not like you're gonna what like put it off until you're retired like that's not a way to play you're never you like you might not ever feel comfortable your whole career and like remember with the plantar fasciitis like he was always trying to play through the plantar fasciitis where he'd like take a couple of games off here and then like come back and play for a little while until it was unbearable and then he'd come back and then you know he, he would take some more games off and like it just felt like he was in like the plantar fasciitis like rotating door for like years as well and I'm like I haven't seen him miss a game for plantar fasciitis now for a while. Like eventually taking all that time off, like must've done him some good, even though it wasn't for the plantar fasciitis. But I just wonder how, like how much of his career, like, and his, like his, his like potential was lost in those years because we didn't let, like have him get those surgeries earlier. Cause we were always trying to like play to win now while also retool every year and like try to turn like, you know, like copper into gold 
Yeah. And I also think, you know, I mean, um, Golden State tried the the hybrid route when they uh, drafted Wiseman. And it's true for rookies to develop. They need time playing out there on the court. And it's hard to do that when you have a winning team who is, you know, on the cusp of trying to get something done. You just don't have those minutes available that you do when you're rebuilding. So who knows, maybe there's a team that can make the hybrid approach work, but it seems like it's a difficult and daunting task. I just had this flash of wondering or what it's like for the front office to have so many young guys that they can like sort of set the expectation with that. Like if you're injured now, we're going to take care of it now, as opposed to guys who've been around for a while and have maybe like say more say or more clout, (laughs) you know, for Damian Lillard, like he's going to do what he's going to do. And, you know, it took years for the front office to convince him to, you know, take care of these various things. Now they have these, young guys who've just gotten into the league and maybe are a little bit more willing to listen to, um, you know, taking care of some of these things early and, you know, not letting things linger on. It just must be different for the front office with different people to talk to different age groups to talk to. It also seems like a surgery that is becoming more common because if I remember correctly, Dame was kind of convinced to do it at the Olympics with when one of his teammates had had it. And so it seems like, yeah, as it's becoming more common, um, maybe they're more comfortable doing that surgery because they have other players to look at to say, oh yeah, that was successful and it was worth the time off to do that. I didn't really think about it at that moment, but there's something kind of like, like small town about how Dayton was convinced to get that core surgery. And then he ended up taking Drew Holiday's job in Milwaukee. <laughs> and I was, so was going to say one of the things about the hybrid approach that the Golden, the, the Warriors did was like, I think that the hybrid approach only works in a, to a certain degree when you're a team that has like championships under your belt and you are trying to extend a championship era of basketball, which is not what the Blazers were doing. And they were able to make some like moves. And also they get like, when you're a team like that, you get vets on the cheap sometimes like guys go there hoping to try to win and like sign below their market value perhaps in order to have a chance to win. Because I remember the like that they were able to extend it in some ways because they won in 2022 but they basically had to replace Kevin Durant with Andrew Wiggins and they had to get some guys kind of some like kind of vets on the cheap so like does that work for a team like Portland where they're like we've been pretty okay for like years and we're trying to like extend our okayness like I don't know if that works um but like to me like that 2022 championship that they were able to like get that to me was like the success of the, the, like the the only measure of its success for like the like hybrid approach that they've been doing. And they probably don't get it in like 99 circumstances out of a hundred. Like, and I'm like, and now I'm like, now you guys are just like going to die slowly because like now that core is like quite old and it's clear that they don't have their like new guys, like in the pipeline to like be successful. Like they traded away, like one of the guys that helped them win championships because he had a problem with one of their core guys. And oh, oops, that guy's like younger and going to be going into his prime. And the other guys are like kind of the sun is setting. Yeah. 
Well, this has been an awesome discussion, but it is about time for us to wrap it up. And but before we wrap, any anything else you didn't get to say about how the Blazers are doing right now that you want to get out there? Otherwise, we'll just go into takes. I'm going to say one thing. We have complained for years that players don't want to come to Portland. And Brogdon has been so vocal about wanting to stay this season and everybody is mad about it. So let's give Brogdon and Jeremy, quite frankly, some love for their wanting to stay in Portland, at least this season. Um, I think that's nice to hear. There's something good going on that they are enjoying. That is a great point. And it actually- love that. I wrote myself a note back way back at the beginning of the podcast when we were talking about um, Jeremy and Brogdon not being traded. And I think one of the things that might have seemed a little bit disappointing at this point about Brogdon not getting traded is that I think a lot of us were thinking about like the Dame trade and the chain of trades as that went on. So like, oh, it wasn't just Dame got traded for DeAndre Ayton. It was Deion, you know, it was for you know, we also got Robert Williams and we got Robert Malcolm Brogdon and then they're going to flip Malcolm, Malcolm Brogdon for a different player so that that chain was supposed to continue, but it stopped with Malcolm Brogdon. And so now we're looking at the, the return uh, package for, you know, what the Blazers got in return for trading Damian Lord. And, and maybe some people were hoping for more and, and not trading Brogdon just feels like that ended. And that like part of the story is over. Who knows? We'll see what happens next, next season. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point that there's like some level of anticipation around a trade for him because they want to see what how how it ends. Um, but I you could argue the same thing about Robert Williams. And, you know, he's obviously not going to be traded. Well, I mean, I guess apparently people were interested in him at the trade deadline, if you believe the rumors. But like, I just can't imagine any player, any team like making like bending over backwards to make that happen, because typically trade deadline trades are about winning this year and he's not even going to be playing this year. So like I can I it makes sense to me that they held on to him. I don't know. But yeah, you're right. People and Kat's also right. I will say what I meant to say this to you earlier, Kat. People just love trades. They love trades. Oh, my gosh. Like. Like trade machine Twitter is a whole thing. I mean. It can be fun. I was playing board games with my sisters yesterday and those were like so complicated. But then looking at some of these trade requests, like, you know, it sort of scratches the same kind of itch <laughs> of like trying to like make some beautiful puzzle layout, you know, anyway, go on, continue. <laughs> no, I, I, that's all I have. I just wanted to say that. And also um, I'll, I, I'll say this. I was very pleased to just not have any trade deadline stress this year. It's nice to not have to worry about them. Cause again, I view those like I view trade deadline trades as like people who are trying to improve their position this year. Cause otherwise there's no reason to rush into doing something and buying high or selling low on guys. You don't need to do that with. And so like in terms of the business aspect, which again, I don't really like thinking about players as like assets cause they're people. But like, I understand that that's part of like the business of basketball. Like, it doesn't make any sense to like force to force a trade that doesn't get you what you want. If you know that you might be able to get a shot at getting what you do want later. Mm. So I can be patient. I can be, I can hang out. I can like be happy watching the guys that we have develop as long as we sign do up brief by the end of the season. Cause I would really, really like to drink that bottle of champagne in my wine fridge for him. Yes. So Cronin figure it out. 
I need to, I need to have a drink for him to celebrate him. That's my piece. <laughs> okay. It's time. It's time for us to share our takes. I know that Tara doesn't usually have a take, but Tara, I hear you have one today. Oh. Tara, what is your take? This, this whole podcast has been takes. That's the thing. I know. Um, okay. My take for this episode is in honor of Kat, who has been sort of my concierge into the Bravo world. Um, she and some other friends who've had more experience than me. And I'm just like a brand new newbie, just like running around in Bravo going, oh, this is amazing. Oh, this is amazing. So my hot take is that Miami is the best housewife franchise right now and will hold that spot for the next couple of seasons has to be miami though it is what it is these women in miami are bringing it and uh so rose i know you're not as familiar with the thing so i'll just explain why so right now all these other franchises there's a lot of like gimmicky stuff there's a lot of extraneous gossip there's just a lot of like stuff that's like getting all mixed in like with the timelines you know with like is it is it, it it's airing now but they're fighting about something else and Miami just it just bring they just bring it every week on the TV and they're not messing it up outside of it <laughs> and it's also it's beautiful like the way they film it is just gorgeous the colors are vibrant and um it, you know we don't have to we do get Larsa Pippen in it who is Scotty Pippen's ex-wife. Um, but she has nothing to do with the Miami heat. And so like, they never talk about the Miami heat, although they did have a celebrity uh, basketball game, which was hilarious. So it did have some basketball in it, but anyway, you know, some of the other franchises have been really great for years and they're kind of dropping off. Like Potomac has really been struggling. Atlanta has been struggling and they've been like mainstays for many years. I think it's time for Miami. Miami's going to shine. That's my take. And and you get the NBA crossover with uh, not only Larsa, but Michael Jordan's son. Yes. Yes. Larsa, who is dating Michael Jordan's son, which is he, they are actually. Wait, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. He's on the show and he's actually very likable, very mature, very intelligent. Totally. Um, it's, I kind of don't see what he sees in her, but um it's it's got some nice NBA crossover. I I yeah, it's they are kind of fun to watch as a couple. They're kind of, you know, yeah, it's it's a little bit like, okay, what do you see in each other? But um he's great. He's like Is smart, this like a May December calm. thing though? She must be a lot older than him. They're like 15 years apart, I think. Yeah. No, they're likely gonna get married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On TV? See what you're missing. I yeah apparently I need to be watching <laughs> Real Housewives Miami because I didn't realize there was so much NBA crossover. It's like a, it's like an NBA spinoff. Shoot, you okay. you would be surprised how much Bravo has some NBA crossover because we mm -hmm. got some good NBA crossover in Utah, and then with Potomac. Oh, Potomac, I forgot about Utah. The free tickets. <laughs> I just keep getting me mixed messages from you guys. You're like, oh, you got to watch Beverly Hills. Oh, you got to watch Salt Lake City. Which one am I supposed to watch to like understand what's going on? 
Well, they're not connected to each other, okay. so it doesn't matter. Like they're not, they're not, they they don't like spin off of each other really. You just have to choose one, and so it just depends. Like we've suggested Salt Lake before because it's short. They only have a few, um, you know, four seasons. We've suggested, you know, uh, OC because it was the original one. So if you want to see where it came from, watch the first season of OC. We've suggested Beverly Hills because just like so much happens with Beverly Hills. So it just depends on what you want to get out of it. Yeah. Potomac has Juan Dixon, former trailblazer, as uh, one of the people. Okay. He's not a housewife, but his wife is. I see. Okay. Well, shoot. Yeah. Okay. Cat. Okay, so my take is um, a bit of an annoyance, um, but I'm just kind of done with companies that don't have some sort of customer service option where you can actually get a response that is not a bot. So I will tell you what happened to me uh, last week and I'm kind of in this like I'm not sure what to do um, and it's basketball adjacent I like the panini instant basketball cards and if you don't know what those are they print them for special moments that happens in games like if somebody has high scoring game or they have some sort of team record or any kind of exciting fun thing that happens in the moment Every week they pick a couple of moments, they put it on their website, you order the card, it has like a three or four day um, allowance where you, if you don't order it in that time period, you can't get the card. They're 10 bucks a piece. So anyway, um, they had one for uh, Wemby when he played in his Portland game because he scored some kind of rookie record in that game. So I thought it'd be fun to buy that card for myself and my friend who went to the game uh, as a remembrance of our first time seeing Wemby uh, in an NBA game. And so I ordered two cards, $9.99 each, so 20 bucks. Um, I finally get my order and they send me two stacks, two rubber band stacks of cards. They send me 50 cards. Now, normally, I would not be bothered if a company sent me more than I was expecting to get. You get a little windfall, but they only print the number of cards that people buy. So 48 cards are not going to the home in which they should be going to. And I feel really bad for the people that bought those cards. And I've been trying to get a hold of somebody at Panini to see how to manage that because I want other customers to get the cards that they paid for and you cannot get a real person. I've tried their phone line that has, you know, an automated message. I've tried emailing. If email goes into a void of nowhere, do not put an email as your customer service option. And quite frankly, I'm trying to help you out in that you sent me $500 worth of product on a $20 order. So anyway, I'm just kind of at my wits end with the bots and the inability to actually talk to a person when you're having an issue with a company. That's a good take, I will say. And I will say, to add on to that, I have similar experiences when they have like live chat, but it's live chat with a bot. I'm like, yeah, this is not what I want. 
like this person is no better than me like you know like using your faqs because that's basically what they do they have an interactive faq where they only have a certain number of responses available to you and uh yeah i agree it's hard to get it's hard to get good customer service now and it, and i and i do you're right i feel bad for those people who didn't get their cards i so i don't know anything about card collecting but i do know a little bit about panini because i did buy a panini card for tara because i bought her the shade and shut sharp dunk that she loves where his toes are pointed and he looks really great and he's almost smiling a tiny bit like so i got i did buy one thing from them but i i only got the one and also i'm very curious how many they actually printed because i got the number one card because you know how they're all numbered it's the number one it's card one and i was like did anyone else order this besides me I mean, you might have the only one tara i don't know how many other people bought it but you have your card was the number one card it was like like Serial number one. So maybe it's the only one in print. I don't know. But Kat, I think it's really commendable that you want to get those cards into the hands of the people who ordered them because um, imagine what they did get. Well, and also right. they're not able to call in and tell anybody that they didn't get their order. Yeah. Right. Nobody's answering the phone. Well, they probably can get a refund, but like that's, that's probably not what they want because they can't just go out and buy this somewhere else at some other right. time. Right. Otherwise, I would just let it go and I would say, oh, look, I got a little nice little windfall, but I feel bad for the people that didn't get what they ordered. And um, maybe I just need to move past that. But I also just think it's really bad to have sort of these quasi customer service email addresses if they're not going to respond to you. I have one idea that you might try if you haven't already. When I was trying to get the Blazers to fix, the, fix their website so you could uh, get a Jabari Walker jersey, he still doesn't have a page, but there's at least the option on the order page to get a Jabari Walker jersey. I went through social media. So have you tried to go through Panini's social media? They may not. respond. Okay. It and is I, like I think they've sort of become like the de facto customer service. I was going to say, I do think that there's a like a like a non-trivial number of companies, like large companies that only provide customer service through things like Twitter. And it's one, because when people complain about them, they want to be able to respond and look responsive because it makes them look bad if you're tweeting about them and they're trending because they're doing a bad job with their customer service. And two, just because I think that it's like too tempting for people to outsource that stuff because it's expensive. And so, you know, you you can get people from wherever around the world to provide technical assistance through twitter which is ai is not cursed. going to fix everything you know ai yeah. is going to have some really positive impacts but we still need people to do things it's true what's your okay. take rose okay so my take my take is this i so i've been trying to take my daughter to a game um and it's always hard for me to choose because it's like the games are so late. My daughter is seven. It's like by the, she's going to turn into a pumpkin before the end of the game. And it's going to be a nightmare to get home. And she's going to be so grumpy by the end. And I was looking at taking her to the Charlotte game later this this um, month because it's a Sunday game. And so it starts at six instead of seven, which is like a little bit more bearable to me. Although still, by the time we get home, it will be still be past her bedtime. I want to know what, like, my take is that we need more actual weekend afternoon games. I would love for there to be, like, afternoon games, like, you know, like, 
sometimes they play at like three o'clock or something like that. Where did all those go? We used to have those like a handful every year. And those are great games to take kids to. But seven o'clock on a weeknight is not great for kids. And if they want to grow their young fan base, they need to have a few of those games every year where it's like a Sunday at three or five or something, something that's not like six or seven, because like a game, depending on how long a game lasts, like you're not walking, you're not getting walking in your door until 930 minimum. And maybe even later than that, depending on like where you live and how long it takes you to, to get home. Like, so anyway, my take is that we need more afternoon games. I think that those are perfect for kids. And I also think that like families are far more likely to go together as a group in an afternoon game. I think the reason why they normally do those afternoon games is to accommodate TV schedule. And we're just not on national TV games anymore. Sure, but there's a good, I'm just saying there's a good scheduling reason to do it anyway, right. even if you're not on national TV. I think it's good to have more options available to your fan base so they can participate in the thing that you're selling. I agree. And I've heard other parents also say the same thing. Yeah. So whoever we know at the Trailblazers, can you give us a couple of afternoon games so we can bring our families and our kids to watch like our, your team play basketball because I hear that you're not selling out games all this time anymore and I can bring my whole family if you have a game at three o'clock in the afternoon everyone can go even my parents who are like in their 70s can come to your afternoon game but they're not going to come to a 7 p.m game that's my take great take I love it. Well, ladies, we have covered a lot today. Thank you, Kat, so much for joining us and especially for all those awesome um, G League insights. I look to hearing, forward to hearing more. We'll have to touch base at the end of the season too, just kind of like recap how the whole thing went. Uh, for now, anybody want to, uh, any last words, share social media handle where people can find you? Oh, maybe Kat, you could promote the third bench stuff too. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, at the third bench is on Twitter and Instagram. Seth runs the Twitter. I run the Instagram. And then mine is at Kat Renzer, C-A-T-R-E-N-Z-E-R um, on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. I can be found at TCB Biggs on Twitter and Instagram. And we have a take can be found at we have a take on Twitter. We do have an Instagram thing, but we haven't posted anything there for a really long time. Uh, maybe we should take care of that someday. I don't know. Priorities, right? <laughs> Rose, you want to take us out of here? Uh, yeah. I mean, you can find me at Rose L. Harding basically anywhere that I am. Twitter, Instagram technically blue sky although i haven't walked into that in like months so sorry um and yeah thanks for listening and go blazers thank you